0: Welcome to OK Talks. I'm your host, Oliver Kendall. I'm a lifelong political nerd with an academic background in international relations focused on security policy and real-world experience working in the U.S. domestic political space and living in a number of other countries than my own, all of which combined, I think, positions me fairly well both to interpret for my international audience what's going on in the politics of my own country and to shed light for some of the folks back home on some events of note going on in the rest of the world. So... The vast majority of people living in Turkey since the modern version of the country was founded after the Ottoman Empire collapsed at the end of World War I are, like, individually Muslims to varying degrees of personal piety. But the government of the modern Turkish Republic, as it was founded by Gamal Ataturk in the early 1920s, has at least officially been very secular, uh, resulting in Turkey usually being considered one of the world's most liberal Muslim-majority countries. But in 2003, Recep Tayyip Erdogan became Prime Minister of Turkey, and contrary to that brief history I outlined, Erdogan is not at all committed to secularism in Turkey, but rather is pretty openly Islamist. Now, I always find it necessary to define what this word means, as it can be confusing. Islamism is not the same thing as Islam per se. Islamists are Muslims, but not all Muslims are Islamists. Islamism, or political Islam, is the idea that government and society as a whole should be reordered to conform with traditional Islamic law. That is to say, if you're an Islamist, you probably believe the government should be in the business of imposing fundamentalist Muslim values on the people being governed. Despite Erdogan leaning in that direction, though, a number of Western and other democratic leaders were, at least initially, really optimistic about his leadership. Early on in his term, he presided over some reforms aimed at making Turkey a more appealing candidate to join the European Union, and he was successful in getting the military and police in Turkey under more civilian control than had been the case there before. There had been rather a lot of military coups in the country over the last century or so. But in addition to the whole Islamism thing, there were probably some other warning signs that Erdogan was maybe not the democratic reformer that he appeared to be to some. He once apparently said something to the effect of, democracy is like a bus, you ride it until you reach your destination and then you get off. And during the 2010s, it became increasingly clear that Erdogan was in fact in the process of, you know, getting off the bus. There are a whole lot of details here, some of which come up a bit in the conversation I'm going to have with today's guest two things that I'm going to largely skip over because they're both very complicated and I believe not fundamentally necessary to understand what's happening right now and the conversation that I'm going to share later in this episode. Those things are, one, the details of a feud that exists now between Erdogan and a former Islamist ally named Fethullah Gulen uh, and his organization, which used to work very closely within Erdogan's government and now very much does not. And two, uh, Turkey's well, often unhelpful involvement in the Syrian civil war and the fight against ISIS, wherein Erdogan's Turkey, a NATO member, remember, often just kind of sat back and allowed ISIS to do its thing right across their border because ISIS's most tenacious and effective opponents have been the Kurds, with whom, let's just say, Turkey has a long and very complicated relationship. But, in lieu of me attempting to do a comprehensive recitation of Erdogan's two decades in power before my conversation with Gyokan, who I'll introduce properly in a minute, here are a few highlights of ways Erdogan has weakened democracy in Turkey. First of all, he's apparently pretty thin-skinned, so in the mid-2010s a bunch of people got prosecuted and I'm pretty sure sent to prison just for insulting him in public, including a bunch of people who compared him to Gollum from Lord of the Rings. Google it, they have a point. Freedom of the press has declined considerably during Erdogan's time in power. In the early 2000s, Reporters Without Borders generally ranked Turkey around 110th in the world in terms of press freedom. Pretty shabby already, but then after two decades of Erdogan, Turkey is now ranked somewhere around 160th, in the same neighborhood roughly as other bastions of freedom of the Fourth Estate like Putin's Russia, Maduro's Venezuela, and Sisi's Egypt. This restriction on the free flow of information is also extended to the internet more broadly. Social media in Turkey is increasingly censored, and Wikipedia itself was blocked in that country for three years under Erdogan. Steps were already being taken to increase control of the press, impose right-wing social values, weaken the independent judiciary, and a number of other anti-democratic moves. But things really kicked into high gear in the summer of 2016. In July of that year, there was an attempted coup d'etat, an attempt that went so badly that some have actually speculated that it might have been a false flag, though I should say my guest on the pod today is not of that opinion. Whatever the origins of the coup attempt, it gave Erdogan's regime all the excuse that it needed to take even more drastic authoritarian measures. Hundreds of media outlets closed, and the government started arresting journalists. By 2017, according to the Committee to Protect Journalists, Turkey held more members of the press behind bars than any other country on Earth, more than North Korea, Cuba, Russia, and China combined. I don't know if that's still the case, frankly, I think it's probably not, but even so, it's a bad thing to have happened in a country that's at least nominally a democracy and a member of NATO. By 2018, until which the post-coup state of emergency had been extended, More than 50,000 citizens who were suspected of being opposed to Erdogan had been arrested, and more than 100,000 had been fired from their jobs, with these purges particularly impacting the judiciary and education systems. As we'll also discuss in more detail in our conversation coming up, in 2017 Erdogan forced through changes to the constitution that shifted Turkey away from the parliamentary system it operated under before to instead be a presidential system one in which the president, which Erdogan then became, has an absurd amount of power for a number of reasons. More recently, over just the last few years, in addition to deepening his own control, pushing fundamentalist social values and cracking down on dissent, Erdogan has pursued a pretty disastrous economic agenda and presided over a horribly botched response to the huge earthquake that just devastated huge parts of the country a few months back. So why does all this matter right now? Close listeners of this show will have noticed a few times in the past where I've thrown shade at Erdogan, but why am I putting out an episode right now where I take a more direct swing at the wannabe neo-sultan? Well, in less than a week, Turkey is set to hold elections. Elections which present the most serious opportunity probably in more than a decade to remove this man from power. And I suspect quite possibly, also the last real chance Turks will have to rid themselves of Erdoğan before he becomes, let's say, something akin to a Turkish analog to Putin. That is to say, somebody who will rule with an increasingly iron fist until the day he, you know, accidentally falls headfirst out a window or puts too much polonium in his morning tea. So, to dig into all of this, I'm going to be joined now by Giyokhan Dilek, a PhD student and member of the Workers' Party of Turkey. Who has worked in the Turkish NGO space and is in the country at the moment advocating on behalf of the main opposition candidate? But first, if you haven't already, come on, come on, go subscribe to the show. Share it with anybody you know with a pulse who might be interested in global affairs from a US perspective, or who is looking in at the US from the outside wondering just what the hell is going on and could use a hand interpreting it. All right, cringy content producers, obligatory, please like and subscribe out of the way. Here's my conversation with Giyokhan. I hope you find it as interesting as I did. Giyokhan, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you for inviting me. Uh, we,
0: we are going to talk about uh, Turkish elections, right? Yes. Um, so speaking of, um, you can you can assume that I will probably have recorded a long, rambly introduction of basically so that the audience knows a little bit about who President Erdogan is uh, and... Uh, the history of how we sort of got to this point. But uh, so with that being the case, can you um, can you explain just some of the, the, the basic, the technicals of what's coming up here, how the election works in Turkey, um, when it is, etc.
1: Okay, like uh, very technical sense, we are going to have uh, two elections at the same time. One is for parliamentary election and uh, the other one is presidential election. Uh, parliamentary election is simple. You just uh, go and vote for your party. Uh, and then uh, according to the uh, electoral system, they have some uh, parliamentary seats. One thing, one thing important is uh, that we have alliance system. This is a new thing. Uh, this alliance system allows parties to reach out uh, uh, to surpass the barrier. The electoral barrier it was seven
0: percent. Just, just so folks understand that in order to have representation in the turkish parliament a party needs to get it's 10 percent, right no it was reduced to seven percent okay so a party needs now to get at least seven percent of the vote in order to be allowed yeah. into the parliament
1: and now with the alliance system if your alliance uh gets more than seven percent then every party within the alliance uh was counted as you know surpassing the barrier so
0: Gotcha. Uh,
1: they don't have uh, barrier issues. Uh, so, uh, and the presidential election is a round of election. Actually, we have one uh, round uh, with four candidates now. And uh, if no, no, no one can get fifty uh, percent plus one, you know, and then uh, the second round uh, will be held, uh, and then uh, the first two candidates will uh, compete in the second round and then finally in the second round of course you you will have a candidate with 50 uh, percent plus votes so uh, this is this is the technicality uh, and uh, there are like two uh, sorry three uh, alliances uh, major one of them is uh, the ruling party gdp plus nationalist movement party alliance with two uh, uh, sorry three three minor parties and uh, the other one is the uh, main opposition alliance it is a uh, people's alliance with uh, RPP and uh, the good party gP uh, and uh, there are some four minor parties there as well and there is also uh labor and freedom alliance uh which is mainly the kurdish party uh and uh, and the uh, leftist party of uh, Workers' Party of Turkey. So these are three main alliances that will send uh, parliamentaries uh, to the parliament after this election, for sure.
0: Okay. Um, how do those alliances affect, because you mentioned that there are basically two elections. There's the parliamentary elections and the presidential elections. So how, how do those affect each other?
1: Yeah, good question. Uh, presidential election is very important. the The most important election is presidential election because with this new uh, constitutional changes etc now uh, president can rule the country uh, without even the support of parliament so uh, of course they they need to they need the support of the parliament when they try to change the constitution again etc but like uh, practically with the same constitution the president can rule the country for 5 years without even the support of the parliament uh, so but the parliamentary election is also important for the uh, for the presidential election too. Uh, if the presidential election will be uh, uh, in the runoff uh, runoff round, then uh, let's say a GDP has uh, the parliamentary majority. So and Erdogan can say, "Okay, you see, I have parliamentary majority. Uh, re-elect me." So that you know, there will be a uh, there will be a, some harmony. Gotcha you know, between parliament, parliament and the, uh, presidency.
0: Yeah. And is it looking likely that there will be a runoff?
1: Uh, I mean, according to the surveys, yes, this is the most likely scenario. But somehow I don't know why uh, main political uh, comment commentators. Uh, agree that it is going to be resolved uh, in the first round, uh, and also for the for the uh, the opponent of Erdogan as well. So uh, the strong strongest political commentators
0: believe that Khrystolov is going to win in the first round. So interesting. So I was I was next. I was going to ask. Can you tell us a little bit more about the main non Erdogan candidate, like the most likely not Erdogan person? Uh, to potentially rule Turkey? Yes, of course. I mean, his name is Kemal Kılıçdaroğlu.
1: So now uh, people should learn another name from Turkey, you know. Not just, I was going like, to say you know, that,
0: that I'm, I'm going to have to struggle a little bit with the last name there. <laughs> uh, Kılıçdaroğlu. Okay. Yes. Apologies in advance.
1: Uh, uh, no problem. I mean, uh, but no- nowadays uh, Western media actually now uh, has some uh, interest in him so they they make some you know like uh, interviews with him etc nowadays because because he has real chance to win the election presidential election uh so Kılıçdaroğlu uh, is is a very different person compared to Erdoğan for example he he speaks in a very mild way in a very soft way uh, as opposed to Erdoğan's you no know, uh, hard and angry voice. Uh, also, he represents uh, some pluralism in its, uh, in, in himself uh, because he is a um, member of a uh, religious minority in Turkey. He is an Alevi.
0: He's uh, an oh, Alevi. is that. Uh,
1: okay. Yeah. So, uh, so, actually, he made a video. Uh, he make, make propaganda, makes propaganda with these social media uh, videos and he made a video about it as well so uh, he said I am an alibi and there's no shame for it you know and uh, he says uh, okay uh, we need uh, we need to question other qualities of the person rather than the uh, religious you know uh, uh, religious minority or majority etc so and uh, this video actually uh, was very successful that he created very uh, he created a uh, very strong support, especially uh, in young people, uh, and uh, this being an Alawi was considered as a weakness of him. You know, both uh, Erdogan considered uh, him as a weak uh, candidate, and uh, also his uh, alliance uh, uh, party, the Good Party, Menalakshana, the leader of the Good Party, also. Not publicly, but like the discussions we, we, we knew that uh, the good party also considered uh, being an alibi as a weakness. But then, then uh, when he uh, he publicly announces this, uh, this uh, has become a, not a disadvantage, but an uh, the advantage of him. Also, uh, uh proved his... Uh, real politics uh, value uh, in several occasions. One of them uh, is the municipal, uh, municipal election victory in 2019. Uh, they, they made a very successful campaign with their alliance. So they almost all metropolitan municipalities uh, at that time uh, switched to main opposition. So now the mayor of Istanbul, the mayor of Ankara, the mayor of Izmir, Antalya, uh, Mersin, Adana, all these metropolitan areas are ruled by main opposition. Uh, Also, uh, this main opposition alliance uh, struggled to determine a presidential candidate. So he pressed himself as a presidential candidate and the good party pressed for Uh, the mayor of ankara or the mayor of istanbul as the presidential candidate Uh, but then he successfully uh, uh, managed to you know uh, become the candidate so this also created some uh, respect for him you know among
0: turkish people that he also knows real politics I just want to I got to draw attention to this. So, like this this guy who's like a much more sort of mild mannered, normal seeming person than the rather bombastic Erdogan has managed to, despite being from the Alawite religious minority. Which, in case anybody listening is unaware, that's and I, actually I was going to ask if if this had any if if reference to this has been made. But I mean that famously in the Middle East, that is the religious minority that Bashar al-Assad, the particularly vicious dictator of Syria, belongs to, which has been another. Interesting sort of dynamics. So, a, I'm curious if that was another thing that was thrown at him, but it sounds like he's managed to overcome that. And B, it sounds like he managed to overcome a pretty complicated process to become the leader of this coalition, despite some of the internal parties wanting a different candidate. So, like he's he's yes, demonstrated yes, political exactly. acumen in having overcome these various obstacles. Yes,
1: exactly, exactly. That was my point. Also, uh, Turkish Alawism and uh, Syrian Alawism they have similarities, but they have differences as well, so mm-hmm. uh, we cannot just directly relate uh, uh, Kemal Kalashitaroulu to Bashar Assad by just belonging oh, to... Sure, yeah, I mean, I I
0: don't... So. Uh, privately, I wouldn't think that their their religion has really any importance in here at all, but I assume that this would have been used to attack him. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: This was the concern, like the concern in quote unquote, uh from the right-wing uh, uh, main opposition right-wing uh, parties uh, to say that, no, Kılıçdaroğlu cannot become our candidate because uh, Erdoğan is going to abuse this thing, you know, but also yeah. uh, they also do not believe that a minority member can become such a powerful president in mm-hmm. the first place, but yeah uh, he proved them wrong as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so another uh, thing is that Kılıçdaroğlu uh got the support of Kurdish people mm-hmm. uh, and uh, he he promised them a, a solution to Kurdish problem within the parliament, not by just, uh, you know, uh, secret meetings with, uh, you know, with the uh, intellig- intelligence agency with the, you know, uh, Kurdish illegal party, blah, 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 that Erdogan did that actually. Mm-hmm. And also uh, unlike Erdogan, he said, you no, know, uh, he promised, uh, um, an open discussion, an open solution, a legitimate solution within the parliament. And also he made another video uh, condemning uh, Erdogan's campaign uh, that Erdogan is associating Kurdish people's support of him as uh, the support of terrorism or, uh, to Kılıçdaroğlu, Like uh, he equates Kurdish people to terrorism. So he uh, Kılıçdaroğlu condemns this openly. Uh, and promise them an equal part within the country, and promise them that they are an
0: integral part of Turkey. Kurds, uh, so Kurds make up about 20% of the population in Turkey, roughly, no? <laughs> uh,
1: I, I, I don't know official figures, uh, but also there are like half Kurdish, half Turkish people mm-hmm. too. You know, we, we, we get married, married with Kurdish and Turkish people a lot. So, uh, yeah, we can say 15%, maybe... Like uh, if we just take the population of the uh, eastern part of Turkey, you know, that uh, Kurdish people are majority there. So maybe that corresponds to 15%. I don't know. But Kurdish people also live, live in uh, Istanbul, Ankara, you know, all these big Western cities too, working there, living there, marrying with Turkish people, uh, etc. So... Uh, we have a huge issue, of Kurdish uh, problem, of course. Uh, Kılıçdaroğlu addresses this issue, so also this is an advantage of him co-
0: compared to Erdoğan. Erdoğan just promises a war. Yeah, it's it's given what a large portion of the population are Kurdish. This this approach of being just like no, screw you, you're terrorists seems like a it's it's writing off a large group of potential voters that it it, it seems to just deliver to. Let's see if I say it right, Kılıçdaroğlu close okay yes yes. (laughs) so then pivoting slightly here like i know when when erdogan was initially came to power there was some fanfare mistaken fanfare in the west about the idea that he would make the country a more effective democracy and i think after almost 20 years in power it's pretty clear that the opposite has been the case and turkey is a lot less democratic than when erdogan took power what like Okay, I think I'm 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 bringing my my American political experience into this a little bit too much having seen another populist authoritarian imbecile lose an election and then make a serious attempt to not be removed from power despite having lost. Uh what do you think are the chances that Erdogan actually leaves if he is defeated in the upcoming election? Okay, uh to respond to this, um
1: we need to refresh our memories uh, because there there was a moment that Erdogan lost an election. Uh, but uh, he managed to uh, get his party re-elected in the majority in the parliament. It was a very cri- critical election too because uh, we knew that uh, he, in his mind, he is going to change the parliamentary system to a presidential system. But he needed a, a parliamentary uh, support to change the constitution towards that direction. So we entered the election and the, uh, the opposition, the Kurdish opposition, especially with Demit with Demirtas, uh, they said, we are going to not let you, uh, change the constitution and become a president. And, uh, in, in, that election, Kurdish party, uh, got elected that, uh, big vote big share of vote so that at the end yes uh, uh gdp failed to have the power to uh, change the election and also gdp uh, needed to uh, get into in a, in a coalition with the main opposition uh, but then uh, erdogan uh, uh erdogan managed to reverse the situation why because at that time, Nationalist Movement Party was in the opposition, and Nationalist Movement Party was a radical and extreme uh, nationalistic, Turkish nationalistic party. They they hate Kurdish uh, politicians. So uh, when Kurdish uh, party uh, had this uh, big success, they got intimidated in the first place. So they got uh, they shifted to you know from main, uh, from the opposition to uh, Erdogan. Uh, also, state bureaucracy uh, feared that uh, Kurdish party with left support uh, had a say uh, in into the future of the country. You know, it was like against our state courts. Uh, and at that time, uh, people in Turkey uh, they were not that educated, politically educated about the uh, politics of Erdogan, you know, this uh, polarization politics, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh this was the underlying sociological political aspect of the thing but now we know that even the, the good party good party is also a very nationalist uh, party uh the, the people supporting the good party also they got they they have their lessons from this experience so they know that they should not um uh, uh ex uh they should not uh, fear of Kurdish party, okay. so that uh, now Erdogan has uh, less means to reverse such a situation. And also now, if you if you don't have um, the uh, presidency now, you you are you are nothing. You are just Erdogan becomes nothing. But at that time, uh, when you fail to have the parliamentary you know, uh, support, you are still something, you know, like you are a prime minister or, you know, you you are the president in the uh, old constitution, you know, now with the new constitution, when
0: Kalishtarul wins, he wins. So this is, is this actually, maybe I'm misunderstanding this, is this the first time that there's a general election taking place under the new presidential system? Uh, No, Uh, this is the second time. Uh, The first time was in uh, 2018. So just just so, so the just to make sure that um because some of the some of the structural things we were like you were talking about there might be a little bit confusing for some folks. So just just to boil this down a little bit. basically, um Turkey until recently had a parliamentary style system, kind of like for those who listened to, I think two episodes ago, the episode entitled WTF is happening in Israel. Uh, I explained the basics of the kind of difference between a presidential democracy and a parliamentary one wherein in a parliamentary democracy, Uh, The head of government is the person who can cobble together the largest majority in the parliament, which is to say the last time that Erdogan basically lost an election was one in which he lost his parliamentary coalition and then was able to convince other parliamentary parties to join his coalition later so that he could become the prime minister again and then ram through a set of constitutional changes that would create – a position in Turkey of the presidency that has a lot more power than it did previously. And then he won the election for that. Uh, No,
1: this is not the exact story. The exact story is that uh, he failed to uh, become the uh, majority of the parliament in 2015. Mm -hmm. And then uh, he blocked uh, the, the formation of the coalition government at that time. GDP's leader was Ahmet Davutoğlu and uh, RPP's leader was uh, Kılıçdaroğlu so they were like meeting and trying to form a coalition government but Erdoğan blocked
0: uh, he undermined Donald the government.
1: coalition yeah yeah, yeah. There, uh, there were some like uh, bombings etc so uh, he said okay as a as a president president in the uh, old system you know he said okay the country needs stability and security so uh, he made uh, uh,
0: an early election in six months. You know? Right. Bottom so so that... line that the trick, the 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 mechanism that Erdogan used to block himself from losing power the last time really doesn't exist in the position that he's running for now.
1: Yeah, yeah, but, but uh, he he was trying to change the constitution to this new par- uh, presidential democracy system. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at that time no uh, we, we we did not
0: have a presidential uh, system but we we had a parliamentary system. So theres uh, there's no concern now that he'll find some other way of hanging on to power even if he loses. His power is coming from the you know divide and conquer strategy mm-hmm.
1: that, that was my main point gotcha So he 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 managed to divide and conquer the position in 2015. Uh, because in two thousand fifteen, if you are a, let's say if you are a, a Turkish nationalist, uh, who is uh, opposing Erdogan, but who also has some issues with Kurdish party, so with this kind of you know, uh, uh chaotic environment, you end up supporting Erdogan against Kurdish party. Mm-hmm. You know? Gotcha. This this was a situation, but now uh, the opposition of Erdogan in the you know, in the people level not like the political party level and the people level. They are so
0: determined that
1: uh I don't think they can get separated yeah. by any
0: so, so the the, the, the why... anti Erdogan forces are better are better consolidated yeah. this time than the last time.
1: Yes, Dr. exactly. So exactly. let's
0: assume let's assume for a minute that Erdogan does lose the election. Can you speak just more broadly? What does it what will it mean for Turkey for Erdogan, this guy who's you know people refer to as the sort of neo sultan to not be in power anymore i i was talking about this
1: with my family uh this morning uh, one thing in the in the past in the 50s we had a similar situation in turkey uh there was a very popular uh, uh figure adnan menderes uh, he got a, he got the power for more than like uh, 10 years etc and at the end of these 10 years uh, he put he put pressure on the opposition a lot etc he uh, tried to become like Erdogan nowadays you know, so in the past and uh he was he was stopped uh, by a coup at that time mm. uh, but uh, because he was stopped by a coup uh in right wing politics, he he was martyred, <clears throat> and then mm. uh, he was like uh, he was like saint of right. He became politics. a martyr for the right
0: wing. For okay, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So, <clears throat> uh, but now uh, we have the chance that Erdogan uh, like cut all these coup attempts uh, very successfully, and I think it is a very good thing for Turkey that we don't have coups. And uh, now Erdogan is going to lose uh, such a powerful position. Uh, by public vote. So it can create uh, such an opportunity for Turkey uh, that uh, we we are going to be proud uh, uh, about our power, the people's power, that we can remove him uh, by means of uh, democracy. So, yeah.
0: It does feel very ironic looking in from the outside that this man who really does look like an authoritarian along the lines of an Orban or a Duterte or a Trump or a Bolsonaro or any, any other of this sort of wave of populist right wing jackasses that have taken over democracies over the last decade and a half or so, that this person who during the course of his time in power was able to change the constitution of the country to give himself a more powerful position and now will likely lose as a result of that or could lose as a result of that um
1: that, yes exactly that eye-to-eye.
0: that yeah that that will be immensely satisfying i would imagine to people who want turkey to remain you know a relatively secular democracy um and from do you think so okay so so just in terms of okay so so what you said there is is a very frankly moving thing from the standpoint of of just general notions of the importance of democratic systems and and people having some say over the way they're governed. From a policy standpoint, because um, I know Turkey has moved in a, a pretty rightward direction on social issues and various other things under Erdogan. Do you think that this, that Erdogan losing will have an effect on a policy level in addition to just on a basic, we are a democracy level? Okay, uh, this is a rather complicated issue.
1: Uh, I, I am aware that uh, Turkish people uh, lost some uh, democratic tradition uh, with the, with the Erdogan's uh, rule, and um, I don't think that um, it it is going to be an instantly uh, rec- an instant recovery. You no, know, like uh, we, but I think it is going to be fairly quick recovery if you if the new government uh, can let the civil society, for example. Unions, civil society, uh, small political parties, to you know get into uh, politics and social issues, etc. And if there will be some level of uh, open discussion in Turkey, then I think we will recover very very quickly because with the with the new generation, they are very they are very eager to follow uh, news on social media. They are like the generation of the internet, etc. So I think
0: they will recover fairly quickly. So bottom line, you think Kalish Dorolu will not attack journalists and professors and judges and stuff in the same way that Erdogan has been doing? Okay. I, I cannot promise of that, of course. I mean, uh, he's
1: not my candidate per se. Like, I, I support him because he is the main candidate against Erdogan. He appears to not do that. Uh, and also like from uh, another point of view that the the people's alliance is like a fragile alliance in the sense that there are like minor parties there are some issues they they will need to negotiate many things with the kurdish party and with the left uh, parties in the parliament etc so this this is going to create some form of negotiation and uh, you know uh, common sense etc as opposed to, like, instant decisions of a, of one man, you know. Mm-hmm. But still, I mean, I cannot say that they are going to make everything right, you know, they, they are not going to, you know, divert to another, you know, funny direction, etc. I cannot yeah. say that, of course. But uh, at least we will have a chance uh, to move forward.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It seems... It seems like we we know pretty clearly what the alternative what what the what the well we, we know pretty clearly what it would look like for air to want to stay in power uh and almost anything other than that seems like a pretty positive development yes I agree. yeah um well i want to be respectful of the fact that you must have other things to do with your day so thank you so much for for joining us i'm i'm really interested to hear about this and, and i'm I'm coming out of this conversation a lot more optimistic than i expected to i'm i didn't i was unaware of the fact that it seemed so possible that erdogan could actually be removed from power um it is it is definitely very very possible we are like an inch close to that well let's get us over the finish line and uh, i hope to talk to you again uh when uh when sultan erdogan is is deposed yeah thank you for having me uh, thank you yeah have a nice evening. Well, that was informative and much less depressing, frankly, than I think a lot of the interviews we've had on this show lately. And that's it for this episode of OK Talks. First off, big thanks to Gyokan for joining me. Uh, and uh, from all of those who like secular liberal democracy anywhere, let's send up good thoughts for the guy whose difficult to pronounce name I really hope to get better at saying once he's rid Turkey of one of the world's scummiest authoritarians. As always, if you like the show, please hit subscribe, leave a rating and review, and most importantly, share it, share it, share it. As always, I want to thank my friend Nate Wright for having designed the podcast artwork and you for listening.